I'm having technical difficulties with my iPad. You know, the one time you start depending on these things and you don't bring your paper notes, God's going to throw you a curveball. And uh, let's see if he wants me to preach this or not. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Y'all were hoping he wouldn't do that. You know, uh, Brian just gave a great um, illustration to this message this morning with, as he shared that about um, Dayton. And uh, today, we're talking about Abraham facing the unknown. Uh, this is our Sunday night series, but we didn't meet last Sunday night, so I'm going to transfer it over to this morning. But I think it's very appropriate that, uh, that this God had it worked out this way. Because there's a, a couple, there's a mom and a daddy that's facing the unknown. There's a young man that's facing the unknown. Is he going to be healed? You know, is he uh, going to be restored back to health? Uh, what's, gonna, what's his future going to be? And so I want to ask you this morning, can you think of a time or a situation in your life, maybe it has to do with health. Maybe it has to do with your marriage or your finances or your children or your job or your career that you had to wait for something to happen. You had to wait for some need to be met. And it was just taking forever. In that waiting period, did you ever try to take matters into your own hands just to discover that you messed them up? How long can you wait for God to act in your life before you think you have to do something about it? Are you tired of waiting? Some of you are waiting right now for something to happen. You've been waiting a long time for something to happen, and it's not happening. You're about this close to giving up or to doing something about it. Abraham and Sarah took it upon themselves to try to fulfill God's promise. And in their reckless effort to get the outcome that God had promised, they learned a valuable lesson about waiting on God's timing. So watch this modern-day clip uh, that illustrates this story.
You know, even when we know what God has called us to or promised us or a need that he said he's going to meet, what we don't know is how long we'll have to wait for that to be fulfilled or that need to be met. Abraham and Sarah had been promised their very own son. But at first, they didn't know how long that they were going to have to wait. God didn't give them a time frame at the beginning of this promise. Sarah and Abraham had waited too long, they thought. So they took matters into their own hands, much like we do. And they made things worse. Warren Wiersbe makes the observation, the ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless. The world around us is frantically in a hurry. But a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. A restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. And that's what happened in this story. We don't like to wait. We are impatient. And we expect instant satisfaction and fulfillment. Isn't that the culture we live in today? I couldn't get my iPad pulled up instantly. I was upset. That's how you are with your phones and devices, aren't you? When things don't work out instantly. And what happens is we translate that into our relationship with God. And it leads to disastrous results. Let me show you some unfaithful responses on our part that happens when we translate this impatience into our relationship with God. First of all, we assume that God has forgotten about us. Look at Genesis chapter 16. Open your Bibles or look at the verse on the screen. We read in verse 1, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but yet God had already promised that she would, but still it hadn't happened. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So she had already received the promise from God, her and Abraham both, but now she has forgotten the promise. And she says, Well, God's just restrained me. He's kept me from having children. Some of you are there. You believe God has forgotten your need. He's forgotten about your life. He's forgotten about what you're waiting on. What you've asked Him to do, you think He's forgotten. God hasn't forgotten. God is bringing you, as He brought Abraham and Sarah through, a time of waiting and a time of testing and a time of sharpening and a time of learning to depend and to trust upon Him. During this time, we assume God has forgotten. We also begin to look for ways to help God out. And that's what happened here in this story, that Sarah said to Abram, please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. So here's her attempt. Here's her and Abram's attempt to help God out. Lord, you told me this is we're going to have children, but I can't have children. So here's the next best thing. It was culturally acceptable in that time to do what Abraham and Sarah did. But it wasn't acceptable in the eyes of God. 
You see, we say, well, you know, nothing is happening. Nothing's happening, so I need to try to make it happen. How many of you can, when you begin to think about those times in your life, or maybe even now when you've had to wait on something to happen, how many of you would think and say that, you know, I've done, I've done that before. I asked God for something, there was a great need in my life, and it just didn't happen, so I had to try to make it happen. Well, that's where Abraham and Sarah were. They tried to make it happen. And that's because of the next thing, the un next unfaithful response, is we doubt God's power and ability to fulfill his promise. And that's where Abraham and Sarah were. They said, well, you know, Sarah said, I'm, God's restrained me from having children. Even though she knew he had promised to do it, now she's doubting. In fact, not just doubting, she has quit believing at all that God's going to do it. And his power in chapter 17 and verse 17, it says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And in chapter 18, verse 12, it said, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And so now they're doubting God's power. And then what happens is a part of that, our hearts mock his promise. You know, as I read this, Abram fell on his face and he laughed. And he said, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Sarah said the same thing. It's like they're going to God. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're, you're, you're going to cause a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to conceive. Anybody in here 90? Mr. Fred, you're not ready for no children, are you, Mr. Fred? Those two sitting beside you, you're done, right? After those two, you don't want no more, right, Mr. Fred? <laughs> I'm embarrassing Abby in June, but anyway. But uh, can you imagine? How about you ladies? You know, uh, I'm in my 50s, and I'm, I'm, I'm done with children. I'm ready for... Well, I, won't, I can't say that. Never mind. I'm done with children. I don't want to put any pressure on anybody, but anyway. Not having any more kids. I can't imagine if God came to me and said, uh, you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to give you another son or another daughter. I would laugh. Be like Abram. Yeah, right. And that's where some of you are right now. You've been waiting so long that you think God's forgotten, you've tried to make it happen with disastrous results, it still hasn't happened, so now you're at the point of just doubting God's ever going to do it. And you're saying, yeah, right. But you, I want to remind you this morning, God hadn't given up on His promise, and He hasn't given up on you, even though we all have had unfaithful responses. God is still faithful. These unfaithful responses can bring about some very undesirable results. First of all, it brought conflict into Abraham's home. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 4, we pick up the story. Abraham went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. 
I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Then Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So immediately, conflict arises. And uh, that's what happens when we respond unfaithfully towards our needs, towards God because of our unmet needs. It brings conflict. It brings immediate conflict sometimes, but sometimes it, the conflict comes later. It also came later for Abraham in chapter 16, verse 12, because the son that was conceived was named Ishmael. And God said that he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. The descendants of Isaac, who would be the son of promise, which we'll be talking about uh, later, and the descendants of Ishmael have been at war since this time. And they still hate each other, and they're still fighting over the land of Canaan. It had brought not only immediate conflict, not only future conflict, but almost lifelong, historical, as long as humanity goes, conflict. In fact, we read in the Bible that conflict will not end until Armageddon. That's why these unfavorable responses, we have to put the kibosh to those unfavorable responses because you don't know the damage you're doing in your relationship to God and your relationship to the people in your family and around you. But it also brings this conformity to our lives. Let me explain. In Genesis 17, verse 15, God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you will not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart. Now, in that first part of that verse, I don't know what version you're using, but in the uh, New Living Translation and then in other modern translations, it says that Abraham worshipped, fell on his face and he worshipped. Falling on his face was an act of worship. It was act, an act of humility. So let's use that context. Abraham falls on his face before the Lord. Now he's worshipping before the Lord. So outwardly he's conforming to God. And see, that's where many of us get. We, in our relationship to God, we, we have become um, uh, just conformed to the outward. My prayer this morning and my prayer for every Sunday morning is for me and for you that, Lord, we don't just allow this routine that we do every Sunday morning to, to get in the way of our relationship with God. That we, we forget that this routine where we sing some hymns and we, we take up the offering and then we listen to the preaching and then we go home and it's just routine and we check it off the list but we've never really connected with God. I pray that everything that we do in this service and on Sundays is more than just a routine, that we are actually directing our hearts to God. We're listening to those words on the screen as we're singing them and thinking about 
singing them to God and what God is saying to us as we sing. And when we pray, we're not just listening to somebody pray. That Our hearts, too, are directed towards God. And then when we give, we're actually giving towards God. We're not just trying to, to, to impress people or give out of obligation or duty. We're, we're investing in the, the work of the kingdom of God. And when we listen to God's word, we're not just listening to a preacher pontificate. We're listening and seeking for what is God saying to me? But we tend to just conform. This is the routine, this is the ritual, and we just kind of conform. We just fall on our face, but then it says, in his heart he laughed. Outwardly we conform, but inwardly we conform to our, our doubt and our unbelief and our own way of thinking. Abraham laughed inwardly, but outwardly he prostrated himself before God, and I wonder, we put on a good face today, yeah, I'm here because I believe in God and I trust in God, but I know inwardly, just as in my own heart, that many of you are struggling. You're hurting. You're doubting. You're questioning. You're wondering. And I want you to know that's okay. And that's why God puts these kinds of things in the Bible for us to understand and relate to and realize that in spite of our wondering and our questioning and our doubting, that he's still faithful. You know, God's covenant with Abraham never wavered, even though Abraham and Sarah wavered time after time. God's covenant with Israel has never wavered, even though Israel from the beginning has wavered time after time after time. God's covenant, God's promise, and his fulfillment of his word to you and to me does not waver even when we do. So let's, not, let's quit this outward conformity playing games, going through the routines, and let's get real with God. I'm going to tell you how we can do that in just a moment. And see, when we, this conflict and this conformity, it can lead to complacency. In chapter 17, in verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and he said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Abraham had given up. He had heard way back in chapter 12, years ago, God was going to give him a son and give him many descendants, but, but it hasn't happened yet. And he said, basically, you, I, what I hear him saying here is, it's not going to happen. He gave up on God and his ways. How could I or Sarah have a child together? He was complacent and he began to settle back to his own ways. And listen, he even asked God, he even suggested that God settle back. He said in chapter uh, 17, verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, Abraham is saying, Lord, it's too late for me and Sarah. How about this child, Hagar, and I had Ishmael? Let him be the son of promise. Let my compromise be your promise. That was a mess. It's been a mess. It still is a mess. God will never take your ways and your solutions and your answers to fulfill His promise. God's ways are higher than our ways, the Bible tells us. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, He says. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great and far above are His ways than ours and His thoughts than ours. Don't settle for less. 
Keep holding God to His promise. A couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, we looked at how Moses took the promise that God gave Abraham and he held it up to God's face. Now, that's not the way the word Scripture says it, but he basically, basically that's what he did. God said, Moses, back off. I'm going to wipe them from the face of the earth. I'm sick and tired of them. This was at the base of the Mount, Mount Sinai. As they played the harlot and built the golden calf, Moses, God said, Moses, back off. I'm going to destroy them, and I'll start again with you. I'll make you a nation. That's how ticked off God was. And Moses took the promise of Abraham, and he said, God, but you remember what you told Abraham? You can't do that. Moses was holding God to his promise. Listen, friends, God expects you to hold him to his promise. He expects you to hold up his word to him and claim it for yourself. That's why it's there. It's not just some ethereal theology floating around out there because, you know, some guys wrote it a long time ago. And God, you know, God wrote this. It's for you. Take it, claim it, and ask God to fulfill it in your life for your sake unto his glory. Let me share with you some uncompromising res resolutions because every one of us in this room, every one of us has had those unfaithful responses while we're waiting on God to act. Every one of us has experienced some of these undesirable results. But let me share with you how we can overcome those. Give me, let me give you uh, five uncompromising resolutions. Number one, admit to God your doubt and fear. Just tell God, Lord, you can't hide it from Him. Don't pretend like you're full of faith when you know down deep you're not. Lord, I'm quaking in my boots. I don't believe that you're going to do it. I've given up. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. Why don't you just tell God that? Why are we afraid to be honest with God? God reads your heart and your thoughts anyway. Why not just say it with your mouth? You think, because God will strike me dead. Well, if God would strike you dead when you say it, why wouldn't he strike you dead when you thought it or felt it? You think there's any difference? It's therapeutic. It's, in fact, cleansing and cathartic for you to say it out loud to God. God, I just don't believe you're going to do it. I'm admitting to you my unbelief. I'm admitting my fear and that I've basically given up on this, this need ever being met in my life. And then secondly, admit to God the mess you've made with your, faith, with your faithlessness and your doubt and your fear or your attempts to fulfill that need in your own way like Abraham and Sarah did. Just tell God, Lord, God, this is the mess I've made. I've, I've I've made a mess in my marriage. I've made a mess with my kids. I've made a mess at work or whatever. Just, just tell God all about it. Just admit it up front. He sees it. He knows it. He just wants you to admit it. Thirdly, just surrender to God and His ways. What does that look like? You know, what's this the universal sign for? When you walk out and there's rifles pointed at you and you do this, what does that mean? I surrender. Your hands are off your weapon. Your hand, you're, you're most vulnerable now. They could choose to shoot you and kill you or, or they could take you captive, but you have surrendered. Your hands are off any attempts to save yourself. That's what you're saying to God. Lord, I give up any attempts to do it on my own anymore. I'm surrendering to you. I'm letting go. I'm not going to do another thing but pray and wait. I'm not going to put my hands back on my weapon. I surrender. If you don't do it, oh well, it won't get done. But I'm not doing anything else. 
surrender. Fourthly, ask God for his grace and patience to trust him while you wait. You see, I don't have the ability to wait in my own strength. I really don't. I'm very impatient. Are you? Typically, we are. We want what we want when we want it. And we don't want to wait. So God has to infuse us with his grace and with his patience to wait, and all the while while we're waiting, to trust him. God, help me to trust you. And, and trust means you have to take your eyes off of the circumstances. Abraham and Sarah were looking at their old age. They were looking that historically people at their age never conceived, never had children. So historically, it was impossible for them to conceive and have a child. They were looking at their circumstances. If you look at your circumstances, it will destroy your faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Faith causes you to lift your eyes and look to God, who is the giver of all good gifts. You have to lift your eyes and look and say, Lord, I'm not going to interpret my circumstances. You don't need to use my circumstances to fulfill your promise. When God fulfilled this ultimate promise in Abraham, he said, I'm going to give you a child, and I'm going to use him to bless all the nations of the world. Think about how God did that. Yeah, he did it through a barren woman named Sarah. But then he did it through a virgin woman named Mary. God doesn't need your circumstances, your ways, to fulfill his word and his promises. He wants to work supernaturally above all that you ask or could even imagine to fulfill his word and your need. So that only he gets the glory. And then lastly, do what we're doing here this morning. When I read this story, I am affirmed and I am inspired. So study his word for affirmation and inspiration. When I read the story of Abraham, when I read the story of Joseph, when I read the story of Moses, when I read the story of David, and I read the stories of, of, of Paul in the, in the New Testament, I, I see real men facing real problems with real struggles, and they fail and fall and mess up, and, and yet God's purpose is still shining through. It gives me hope. It gives me encouragement to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep believing. Don't ignore the Word of God. Keep turning to it for affirmation and inspiration. And let me tell you, there'll, there'll be some undeniable realization in your life. God will fulfill his promise, just as he said. In Genesis 21, we find that God did exactly what he told him he was going to do. He said, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. See, God's going to do what he says he's going to do. If he says he's going to meet your need, he's going to meet that need. It will be done. It may not be done on your time frame, but it will be done. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. You see, God fulfilled his promise just as he said.
God's timing is perfect. He sees the end from the beginning. You may have made a mess of things. But see, God specializes in fixing what you've messed up and what we've, I've messed up, what we've broken. God makes a way when there seems to be no way. God can do it. Sometimes His timing is not bound by time. You see, when, when God makes a promise, we think it's supposed to be fulfilled in our lifetime. But did you know the ultimate promise that God made to Abram wasn't fulfilled until thousands of years later in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ? And that that promise is still not yet fulfilled? That the complete fulfillment of that promise will not happen until the end of the age? And so, in a sense, Abraham didn't get to see the fulfillment of his promise. He got to see his son, but that was just the beginning of the fulfillment. God has much more in store for you, for you than just the immediate fulfillment of a need. For the Bible says, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, that need that you need met, that's just the tip of the iceberg. God's got so much more. His timing is not bound by time, but to be completely fulfilled and disclosed in eternity. The Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven thirteen. Of all those that he mentions in the Hall of Faith, that chapter, including Abraham and Sarah, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And verse 39 says, And after all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, meaning on earth. You see, there's something greater than this life. That need that you have that, that goes unmet, that, that longing that goes unfulfilled, that is very temporary. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater need. And there's a greater fulfillment. And that is in eternity and in glory with God the Father. And that only happens as you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, because when we come to Christ, first of all, our sins are washed away by His shed blood on the cross. He writes His name on our hearts, and He writes our name in the Lamb's book of life that cannot be erased. He assures for us a place in heaven. He has taken our sin from us, and He has given us His righteousness, so that makes us worthy of heaven, because without Christ, you and I could not be worthy. And when you come to Christ, He doesn't automatically take away all your problems in this world. I could have Christian after Christian after Christian stand up here and, you, and tell their life story, not only of how they came to know Christ, but their life since they came to know Christ, and you would hear problems and you would hear heartaches, but in the midst of that you would hear victory and faith and hope. See, Christ doesn't remove your problems. He doesn't make life perfect and peachy and neat because there's something grander something higher, something nobler, and that something is life with Him in heaven forever. And that's what He's promised every one of us. So the promise to be fulfilled is not just that immediate need that you have, but of being with Him and seeing that He is all you really need. He is all you really need. And if that need were to go unmet the rest of your life, and you step from this life with those needs unmet, 
into the next. You will say, take one look at your Savior, Jesus Christ, and you will find that everything you ever lived for, hoped for, dreamed for, needed, was found in His faith. And that's the hope fulfilled. Let's bow together.